So last week, I kind of kicked off this mini-series. I say mini-series because my goal was to keep it right at three weeks. Uh, and I think we're going to extend it a little bit because I think the content of what we're sharing in this mini-series uh, is so rich and so helpful that we cannot just rush through it. Uh, in this season, we believe God is saying three things to us, and I thought it was a word just for our men. Uh, on Saturday mornings, right here in the Cafe Express, at 8 a.m., we gather for Fight Club, and we're learning how to fight uh, for our families and fight for our marriages and, and fight for our inheritance that God has given us. And, and so I thought this was just a, a word, a message for our men, because uh, I really felt in my heart God was saying three things to us, that in this season as men, we were to be strong. Uh, uh, number two, that we were to stabilize, meaning minimize the chaos and the disorder in our lives. In fact, in Genesis 1, when we're introduced to God, we're introduced to him as the creator. Uh, and his first act as creator is to bring order where there was disorder and chaos. The scripture says that the earth was void and without form. It was chaotic. And then God said, let there be light. I think God has given us the same mandate uh, as his kingdom agents in the earth. Not just to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, but along with that, to stabilize our lives, to minimize the chaos, in order that we can stretch, meaning stretch beyond our limitations, stretch beyond our capacity, stretch beyond what is ordinary, mediocre, and mundane. He says to the man with the withered hand, he, he commands him to do something that is physically impossible. He speaks to his limitation, and he says, stretch forth your hand, and as the man in obedience stretches forth something that is dead, impotent, without life, uh, Jesus heals him. What that means is with every instruction that God gives us comes the accompanying power to execute it. So there's nothing about what God is saying about being strong, about stabilizing, or stretching that he requires us to do in our own strength, in our own ability. He has already made provision for us to tap into his grace to get the job done. So this morning, I kind of want to pick up mid-sentence and kind of pick up where we left off. If you weren't here last week, uh, all of our messages are available on our mobile app. Uh, you can go to your Play Store, your App Store. Uh, simply search City Church TX, as in Texas, all one word, City Church TX. Download the app, and you can listen to all of our sermons uh, there so you can stay Stay in step with uh, what we're sharing in these series of messages. Be strong, be strong. I've chosen this morning for our anchor text, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Familiar passage of scripture uh, uh, as it relates to, to, to strength and, and victory and what it looks like uh, to, 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 to walk and to live in the strength that God provides. Uh, this morning, I want to read it from the message paraphrase uh, because I, uh, I think the contemporary language helps us understand a profound spiritual truth that Paul was communicating. And so, so read with me uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 10. It'll be on the screen uh, for your convenience. Uh, these are the words of Paul the Apostle, the most prolific writer of the New Testament, uh, prolific church planter, and these are his words. In fact, in the New King James, he begins with this uh, word, finally. It means that he's about to put the bookends on everything he has communicated to the Ephesians church up until now. And here in verse 10, he says, finally, as I close out this letter, as I close out this epistle, these are the parting thoughts I want to leave 
with you. Again, an epistle was simply a letter written by one of the church fathers, church leaders, Paul being the, uh, the leader among them uh, to the churches that they had planted. This is one of the churches that Paul planted in Ephesus, and he's closing this letter of encouragement to the believers in Ephesus. And he begins the message paraphrase with these words. And that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best materials and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. I don't know where you are in your life currently, but this is what I do know, that life is cyclical. Uh, so you're probably going through a storm, coming out of a storm, or about to go into one that might surprise you and might come when you least expect it. In fact, Jesus teaches the parable of the wise man and the foolish man. And this is what he said said the rain beat against the foolish man's house and the house of the wise man. Trouble comes to us all. Trouble comes to us all. In fact, the psalmist said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers him out of them all. And what Paul is doing is preparing us for those times of conflict and adversity that are inevitable. And he says, knowing that the evil day is imminent, I want you to suit up. Are y'all with me? So he continues and he says, this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. He is emphasizing the reality of the fact that you and I are at war and our adversary is not flesh and blood. He says, this is no picnic. This is no afternoon athletic competition. What you and I are engaged in is very real, and here's why. The, the, the battle is really about this one thing, that God loves us. And therefore, Satan despises everything that God loves. The battle is really between Satan and God, and the way he thinks he can get back at God is by harming something God loves. Therefore, he will not relent. And you and I are caught in the middle of this battle. And that's why Paul says, you and I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It is not just a battle being waged in the natural. It is supernatural in its origin. Notice what he says. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. So be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. And he begins to list these weapons, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than just words. I want you all to hear that. They're more than just words. They are literally the weapons of our warfare. And he continues and says, you'll need them throughout your life. <laughs> you will need them throughout your life. 
God's word is an indispensable weapon in the same way prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. And he says, pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open and keep each other's spirits up so that no one, come on somebody, so that no one falls behind or drops out. Because the enemy would like nothing more than to see someone isolated from the pack. In fact, that's how animals in Africa, where I'm from, hunt. They look for the slowest, and they look for the weakest. And they take them out. I said, Pastor Ray, what is this all about? In this season, I really felt in my heart that God was inviting us as a church to, first of all, be strong and recognize that there is an adversary. But God has already given us the victory. Number one, we fight not for victory, but we fight from a place of victory. And that's good news this morning. So God has given us these weapons of warfare that the scripture says are not carnal. First of all, the belt of truth. Uh, In fact, the Lord wants us to suit up. Every single day that we live, God wants us to suit up for battle. And he gives us this first weapon, which is the belt of truth. Let me tell you what the belt of truth is, City Church. The belt of truth is an absolute standard by which reality is measured. I'll say that again. It is an absolute standard by which reality is measured. We live in a culture today that says truth is relative. That, 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 that the standard of truth moves. In fact, people say, well, that's my truth. My truth and how I see it is just as valid as your truth and how you see it. And we no longer have an absolute standard or measure of truth. In fact, the avowed atheist Bertrand Russell said it this way. If there is no God, then there is no right or wrong, just preferences. And that's what our world has defaulted to. Your preference is just as valid as mine. Yet God says, if you and I are going to win this ongoing battle, we must take on to ourselves the belt of truth and recognize that truth is absolute. And the standard of truth is God's word. Let me continue by saying this. All deception, all deception begins with the introduction of doubt. Therefore, the antidote to deception must be truth. Notice when Satan came into the Garden of Eden, the thing he said was, did God really say? Because all deception begins with the introduction of doubt. When trials come, they always come to question what God said, and it comes to question whether God really cares. And if you and I are not rooted and grounded and established in the truth of God's word, we will give in to the deception of the enemy just as Eve did. Once the enemy can plant uncertainty, once the enemy can cause us to question the absolute standard by which reality is measured, he has the decided advantage over us. And so every day you and I live, We must make a commitment to be rooted and established and grounded in the truth of God's word. Not only that, when you read the text, notice in Genesis 1 and 2, God is introduced as Lord God, Elohim Yahweh. When the serpent comes into the garden, he refers to him only as God, not Lord God. And in fact, the deception comes when we think we can have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. That he can be God but not Lord, 
Because Lord infers that he is in charge of everything in my life. When Satan comes, he begins to tempt them and says he's not even Elohim. He's not Lord. He's just God. So you can maintain your form of religion without putting God first. And that's where most of us live. We come to church every Sunday and we deny the truth of God's word because we have our own standard of truth. And the enemy is whipping us left and right. Because you have a standard of truth that is not rooted and established in God's word. It is the work of the enemy. Every deception begins with the introduction of doubt. When we say to ourselves, it's my truth. Mm, we don't like that one. Let me try one more. <laughs> truth is God's view on the front end. Oh, y'all missed that. Let me say it this way. Uh, let me say it again. Truth is God's view on the front end. Most of us embrace truth after we've been through the school of hard knocks. After, lesson has, after life has taught us some hard lessons, then all of a sudden we embrace what God had been saying all along. No, truth is God's view on the front end. So let's not try to explain away what God has said. There are two views that exist in the world. God's view and everybody else's. And everybody else's view is always wrong. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I'll say that again. If my way is not consistent with God's way, my way is wrong. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. And if you wrestle with that principle, the enemy already has the advantage over you because he has deceived you into thinking that your way is better than God's. When Isaiah 55 says, God's way is higher. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And his ways are better than my ways. And we go through life and don't even know that we're in the clutches of the enemy because we have chosen not to put on the belt of truth. In fact, one of the things that I find, uh, that I find, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a sobering about the story of Samson is that Samson, the scripture says Samson shook himself one more time as he always did. And he didn't even know that the spirit of God had departed from him. I can just do this one more time. Uh, I can just tell Delilah one more lie. And guess what? If they put me in chains, I'll break the chains like I always do. And he didn't even know the spirit of God had departed. For I will venture to say that most of us come to church every single day, living according to our truth, and don't even know. Don't even know. Just going through the motions and don't even realize that the hand of God ain't on that foolishness. And you are in the clutches of the enemy and don't even know. The scripture says the enemy comes masquerading as an angel of light. When he came to Eve, he was telling Eve, I'm your friend. I want to give you something that God is withholding from you. He's keeping back that tree from you. But if you listen to me, I'll be your friend and I'll give you what you want. God's not your friend. He's withholding stuff from you. And Eve and Adam with her fell into the clutches of the enemy. Because they didn't take on the belt of truth. 
My challenge to you this morning is to settle that once and for all. There is a way that seems right. It seems right. You are fully convinced and you are sincere about what you believe. But what you believe, which is inconsistent with God's word, always leads to death. That's what the scripture says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. It seems right. And this morning, City Church, you can be sincere about what you believe and still be sincerely wrong. And we find ourselves in the clutches of the enemy because we resist the absolute truth of God's word. These weapons of warfare are sequential. They are sequential. The way he talks about him, he didn't just pick a random piece of armor and say, well, put this on and put this on. No, 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 no. Paul is saying, if you and I are going to win in life, begin with truth. Again, I said this last week, but it, 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 it's not the truth that sets you free. I said it last week. It is the truth you know that sets you free. And last week I talked to this church about the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation. That in January of 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed into law. And it wasn't until June 19th of 1865, two, two and a half years later, that slaves living in the South finally heard that they were free for two and a half years. The truth was you're free. But it didn't bet benefit them because they didn't know. The truth of God's word is right here, yet so many people live in bondage. It's not about the truth. It's about the truth that you know and apply that sets you free. And for two and a half years, thousands of slaves living in the South were in bondage when the law said they were free. Okay. Let me try one more. After I put on the belt of truth, after I stand on the truth of God's word, the next thing happens, and that is the breastplate of righteousness. We're talking how to be strong now, how to win in life. It starts with truth, and then truth informs our actions, and it begins to define what is right and wrong, and that's what's called the breastplate of righteousness. Without truth, there is no standard by which we can measure what is right or wrong. And so what Paul is saying is when we take the belt of truth, then we can put on the breastplate of righteousness because now we know what is right and now we know what is wrong. (laughs) Uh, Let me tell you the problem with righteousness and unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. Hmm? If we don't know God's righteous standard, it always invites demonic engagement and influence. Mm -hmm. Unrighteousness is the open door or the power behind the problem that is creating the stronghold in people's lives. Because if if we don't walk in righteousness, what happens is we open up our lives to the influence and activity of the enemy. Is it Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? Okay. Let me put it this way. If, if Satan could tempt the son of God, he has no problem coming to your door. <laughs> if Satan believed in his heart that somehow 
He could tempt Jesus after 40 days of fasting. I'm telling you again, he has no problem coming to your house and coming into your head to tempt you to disobey God. The reason truth is important is because truth will inform my actions. Truth is about the principle. Righteousness is about the action. So if I know what the truth is, the truth will then tell me how I ought to live my life every day. It is the practical application of truth. That's what righteousness is. And let me tell you this. The door to your heart and the door to your life only has one handle and it's on the inside. You determine who has access. Righteousness is the handle to the door of your life. And if you hold on to this handle of righteousness, you will determine what and who enters and exits your life. But when we don't stand on truth, we lean to unrighteousness and we open the door wide to demonic activity. You've heard me say this before. You've heard me say this before. Uh, you let the devil in the back seat, pretty soon he's going to want to drive. It's about a hostile takeover. So you and I can play all the games that we want. But what we do is give the enemy a foothold in our lives. That's why Paul said, that's why Paul said this. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Lest you give the enemy a foothold. You know what that word foothold means? It's, it's like a beachhead. Again, this is military language. If you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, the opening scene, when the Americans are trying to land in Normandy, right, and the, and the Nazis are shooting at them because they didn't want them to land, that's the language Paul's using. He says, if you let sun go down on your wrath, if you go to bed mad with your friend, your wife, your children, what you have done is you've taken the doorknob of righteousness and you've opened that door wide for the enemy to come and establish a beachhead. And notice, once the Americans landed at Normandy, the war was over. Unrighteousness gives the enemy a place to land. And from that beachhead, he will begin to infiltrate every area of your life. Righteousness. What's God's standard? Okay. <clears throat> we don't like that one. Let's try number three. Uh, um, oh, oh, no, no, no. Here's why this is powerful. Let me tell you why it's powerful. We don't have time to turn there. But when Jesus is tempted in Luke chapter 4, I believe it's verse 13. And Jesus resisted the temptation of Satan. This is what Jesus, this is what the scripture says. Luke records it and it says the enemy left him for an opportune time. Y'all see that? So oh, I didn't get him this time, but I'm going to be back. <laughs> I, I'm going to be back and I'm going to get him at an opportune time. Satan doesn't show up until much later in the Garden of Gethsemane. Huh? When, 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 when Jesus takes his disciples into the garden of Gethsemane, this is what he says. He says, the devil comes, but he has nothing in me. The devil thinks this is his moment to get me now because I'm about to go to the cross. And that's sometimes when the enemy will come. Look, let me tell you something. The enemy will come when you're on top of the mountain after you fasted 40 days and you let your guard down. And he will get you also at your most vulnerable hour when you're about to go to the cross. Because he doesn't play fair. So whether it's success or adversity, stay on guard. 
All right. The Lord said, suit up. Because of where God is about to take us. What we're about to enter into as a church is not child's play. Everything that we do as a church, let me tell you what this is. This is God's dream. This isn't Ray and Wendy's Harmon dream, Wendy Harmon's dream. This is God saying, I have a dream for the city of Plano. Ray and Wendy, will you participate in what I'm about to do? Once again, Satan hates everything that God loves. And the reason God is saying to each of us, be strong, is because of where he's about to take us and what he's bringing us into. And that we have a very real adversary who will do everything in his power to cause you to be discouraged, to cause you to quit, and to throw in a towel. This is just bigger than what we do on Sunday mornings and come in and out. So much bigger. In fact, one of my favorite scenes from the movie Gladiator, opening scene, right, right, right. Russell Crowe is getting ready to take, take, take his troops into battle. And this is what he says. What we do on earth echoes in eternity. What we do on earth echoes in eternity. What we do right now in these moments that God gives us has eternal ramifications. Be strong. Because the enemy will try to use your success against you or adversity against you. He waits for an opportune time. And in the life of Jesus, even after he had fasted 40 days, the enemy shows up. And when he's vulnerable in the garden of Gethsemane and said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, the devil shows up again. Jesus says he's got nothing in me. He's got nowhere to land. I'm not going to give him a foothold. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, be careful about the footholds you give the enemy in your life. And one of the examples Paul gives us in Ephesians is do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Okay, <clears throat> let me try one more. Let me try one more. Uh, no, same thing. Uh, uh, Righteousness is tethered to truth. The two go hand in hand. Uh, number three, number three, and I'm going to go fast so I can wrap this up. I don't want to talk about this. Next week, I'm going to go on to what it means to stabilize and, and, and minimize the chaos, the chaotic places, the disorderly places in your life. Number three, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, the word language here, I mean, the, the word picture here is, 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 is pretty compelling because the Romans wore shoes, the leather shoes that but also had spikes that would ensure uh, their footing. Again, everything that we're saying here in Ephesians 6 is sequential. If I have truth, then I know what righteousness is. And if I'm walking and living in righteousness, I can experience the peace of God. It happens in that order. If I embrace God's word as truth, my actions line up with the truth of God's word and I can walk in peace because I know that my thoughts and my choices line up with what God blesses. And what he's saying is peace, the peace of God will make you sure-footed 
Okay. All right, let me try this one. Uh, uh, biblical peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the ability to rest in God in the midst of trouble. That's what he's saying. There's nowhere in scripture where God promised that you and I as Christ followers would live a problem-free life. In fact, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Jesus went on to say, peace I give you, peace I leave with you, not as this world gives it. But we can only experience that peace when we choose to walk uprightly because we have surrendered our lives to God's truth, not ours. There's a famous award-winning, there's a famous award-winning painting, and the title of the painting was Peace. And everybody wondered why the title of that piece was Peace. Because in the painting, there was this huge storm that was raging. The clouds were dark. The, the, the waves were hitting against the shore, and, and, and people would stare at the picture. Why, why, why is this picture called peace? You're an artist, so you can appreciate this. Over in the bottom right corner of the painting was a little bird that was tucked in the cleft of the rock. And from its mouth, there were these little notes that were coming from this bird's mouth. And there was a little sliver of light through the clouds that fell upon this bird. The reason that painting was called peace is because peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is about finding your song in the midst of trouble. And the scripture says, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This kind of peace, it surpasses understanding. It's the kind of peace that you walk in and your friend said, you just went through that and you singing? You're going through that and you smiling? It's the kind of peace that comes only from knowing, the reassurance of knowing that I am walking uprightly because I have held on to the truth of God's word. And even though the storm is raging because I'm honoring God, the peace of God makes me sure-footed and I can still sing in the midst of the storm. When was the last time you put on peace? Okay. Number four, I'm about to wrap it up. Let me tell you, oh, yeah. let me say this before I go to the next thing. The peace of God is critical because God always confirms his will with peace. One of the reasons the enemy comes to steal peace is because God uses peace. In fact, the scripture says, let peace be the umpire. This is football season. And it's the umpire or the referee who has the final word on the field. If you're ever in a place where you're unsure or uncertain about what to do next, follow the peace of God. And the enemy brings turmoil. He brings turbulence into our lives so that we cannot experience peace and we don't experience peace. We're not certain about what God wants from us or for us. The scripture says put on the whole armor of God. The enemy robs you of your peace. It's hard to detect the will of God. All right. <clears throat> uh, number five, I'm going to go fast. 
All right. The shield of faith. We like this one. Faith is simply coming into agreement with God. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth, y'all. Faith is an action taken, not just a feeling experienced. It is an action taken, not just a, f- a feeling experienced. Best way I can illustrate it. Because the scripture says it is with the shield of faith that we quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Oh man, that's, that's, that's important language. We quench the fiery darts, not just the darts of the enemy, but the fiery darts. Any old school cowboy western movie watchers, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, one or two of you, go all the way back, Yul Brenner, Magnificent Seven, come on somebody, take it even further back, uh, no, 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 let me, let me stop, let me stop. But one of the things you will see in these Western movies, check this out. Huh? Uh, these were, this was when, 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 when uh, 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 they were uh, moving west, uh, frontiersmen and, 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 and moving west. And they would, they would ride their, their, their wagons uh, uh, westward. And every now and then they would encounter uh, uh, a hostile Native American tribe, right? And, and what, what, what they, they, those people would do what? They would, they would, they would circle, the, they, they would circle up the wagons, right? They make a big circle and put the wagons in the circle, right? <laughs> and 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 the cowboys would shoot at the Native Americans, right? And and, and uh, these guys realize, man, we can't get close enough to them. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take this arrow. We're gonna dip it in some oil, and we're gonna light it up. And we're gonna shoot at that wagon, because if I can shoot at that wagon, it's gonna catch fire. Can I tell you what the fiery darts are about? Can I tell you why the shield of faith is important? When he says you will use the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts. And this is why. The fiery darts that the enemy aims at us are diversionary tactics. Because you cannot fight an Indian and put out the fire at the same time. When your wagon's on fire and your children are in the wagon, you have one goal and one goal only to get your family to safety and you get out the wagon that's burning and now you're exposed. (sighs) For some of us, the enemy is winning. Because he has succeeded in diverting our attention. He has deployed fiery darts so that you focus on what the dart is doing and not the person who shot the dart. If your wagon is on fire, you ain't fighting no Indians. The problem is it's the Indians who are shooting the darts at you but you can't even get to them because you're preoccupied with the diversion. Only the shield of faith can quench the fiery darts of the enemy. What that means is start acting like God's word is true. All right. I'm going to wrap this up. (laughs) Every time I go back to my notes, I see, I realize this. Yes, four, five, seven other things to say. 
the shield of faith. It's an action. The scripture says faith without works is dead, being alone. So James said, show me your faith by your works. I can say I got faith all day long, but if there is no accompanying action, it ain't faith. Some of you have homes that have security lights that are motion activated. The lights are there, but nothing comes on until something starts moving. The same is true for the kingdom of God. Nothing starts to move. No power is released until someone starts moving. Because faith is motion detected and it is voice activated. You put your feet to it and you speak the word of God over it. You say to yourself, well, God, why ain't nothing happening? Those lights are dormant until something or someone moves. And the movement activates and releases the power that's been lying dormant. It is the shield of faith. So for those of you who have been sitting on the plan of God and the dream for 5, 10, 15 years, the Lord says when you start to move, the light's going to come on. All right, I'm almost done. Helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? The helmet of salvation is simply a renewed mind. Change your way of thinking. And this is probably the most difficult uh, 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 piece of the armor for us to put on. Because God brought the Israelites out of Egypt in one day. It took him 40 years to get Egypt out of them. This was a trip, a journey through the desert that should have taken anywhere from 11 to 21 days. Read the most liberal or most conservative commentators. They would say this was an 11 to 21 day journey that lasted them 40 years. Even though it took God a day to bring 2 million people out. It took him 40 years to bring them in. Because of stinking thinking. Because of stinking thinking. For those of us who may from time to time watch TV land, and you watch these old shows, and I'm sure Art and Sherry, you can appreciate this. Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> became millionaires overnight. And they thought, By moving from the hills of Tennessee to Beverly Hills. Y'all know where I'm going with this, right? Look, you can live in Beverly Hills. You can live in a house in Beverly Hills. You can have Beverly Hills money and still bring Tennessee with you. Y'all ain't helping me preach this thing like I know I need to preach it. The helmet of salvation is the weapon that God gives us that says, I want you to leave your stinking thinking behind because where I'm taking you, you can't bring that with you. And you've heard me say it before that my life and your life will never rise above our most dominant thought. In fact, while God was taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey, they were longing for the onions and pomegranates and leeks of Egypt. Their feet were taking them this way their hearts were bringing them back. 
I'm talking to somebody this morning. Where the, the enemy is winning because you're still looking back. In fact, I had a conversation with somebody by phone the other day. And I shared with him how one of the, the, the most profound verses in all of scripture to me is, is right in the middle of this verse or this passage in Luke. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Out of nowhere, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Let me tell you about Lot's wife. God was bringing her out of destruction. And he says, when you go, do not look. Yeah, that's the problem. We think we still got something back here to look at. And Jesus was saying, one look will kill you. David had one look at Bathsheba. One look. And that's where the enemy's winning. It's what you're looking at. In fact, when Elijah called Elisha, very first thing Elisha did was he took the oxen and he took the yoke. He killed all the oxen, burned up the yoke, and started following Elijah because he wanted absolutely nothing in his life that would cause him to look back. The helmet of salvation. For most of us, the enemy's winning because we're longing for something we should have left behind. This is where I close. Uh, the sword of the spirit. Interestingly enough, oh Lord Jesus, I just saw some. Okay, I promise you, this is the last one. This is the last one. Then I'm going to close sword of the spirit. My friend and I are texting back and forth. You got to have people in your life who challenge you intellectually. If all your friends are sending you is videos off of YouTube with Cardi B and Fetty Wap. If the only thing on your feed on Facebook. Come on, somebody. I'm talking to... Because I see it sometimes. I was off Facebook for eight years. The only reason I got back on there was I just wanted to post some church stuff. And it's amazing the stuff that people ignore and the stuff they post and share and retweet and repost. It's so revealing. I talk about people in church pews who say nothing about the gospel but know everything about pop culture. And they have allowed the real housewives of Atlanta to determine how they treat their husbands. I'm talking about a renewed mind now. So my friend, <laughs> you better have some friends that challenge you intellectually. So he said, man, look, I've been, I've been feeding on this quote all day. And I said, what is it? And you've probably heard it before. It's, it, it's uh, I forget now, but no, no. It's something... Like, um, uh, unless the lion becomes a historian, the hunter will always be the hero.
Unless the lion becomes a historian, the hunter will always be the hero. You know what that means? This is what I told my friend. He said, man, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. What does this mean? Hmm? And I don't even remember what I told him, but it was good, though. Man. It was, I, was, I was like, hold on, hold on one second. I got I to say this. It, it was, because when he, when, he, when, he, when he texted me back, he was like, man, man, I get it now. Uh, so so here, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. I promise you. Uh, uh, uh. So he said, uh, he, said, uh, he said, until the lion has a historian, the hunter will always be the hero. He says, I've been mulling over this uh, saying for a minute. What you thinking? Y'all ready? I said, bruh. <laughs> I said, that's a loaded baked potato, man. But this is what I told him. I said, history is remembered, taught, believed, and appreciated through the lens and voice of the one who controls the narrative. The reason the lion is always the victim and never the hero is because the hunter controls the narrative. Whoever controls the narrative controls the story. I thought I was talking to City Church this morning. Who's controlling the narrative in your head? Whoever controls the narrative in your head always determines the outcome of the story. And if I don't renew my mind to the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to control the narrative of my life, the enemy will, will sabotage the narrative and he will take hold of the narrative and change it and say, you ain't no good. I know God says you're more than a conqueror, but remember what happened last week? And renewing the mind is about taking hold of the narrative and renewing our inner script. That's what the helmet of salvation is. Controlling the narrative of your life and making sure it lines up with God's word. Okay, sword of the spirit, and I'm out of your way. The only thing I say about the sword of the spirit, sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon. Every other weapon we're given is for defense. But it's the sword of the spirit. It's the only weapon we need because it is the sword of the spirit. It is what the spirit of, the, of God himself uses. And the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Interestingly enough, the word translated, two important words here in the Greek. Greek. The specific word that's used here is not just a sword as in a sword, even though it's translated sword. But it's even more accurately translated dagger. Hmm. It is not the long sword of the spirit. It is the short dagger of the spirit. Which means I can't engage the enemy fighting over here. That's how most of us fight the devil. With a, with a pole. How many of you realize that a dagger is ineffective when I'm standing this far from my enemy? No, if this dagger gonna work, gotta get up close with personal with this thing and deal with it 
at close range with the word of God, not from a distance. And I can be surgical and precise with my dagger. And this is what it says, the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema of God. A lot of words translated word in the New Testament, but the Greek word translated rhema means the spoken word. Logos is the written word. Graphe means book. Rhema is the spoken word. The Spirit of God will use the word of God on my lips as a dagger to defeat the enemy every time. And then he says prayer. Final closing. Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly intervention. When we pray, we give God permission on earth to move heaven on our behalf. Matthew 18 and 18 says, whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Put that John Wesley quote on there. John Wesley famously said this concerning prayer. It seems that God is limited by our prayer life, that he can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. Our prayers give God permission to move on our behalf. And so if we're going to take what God told our church seriously to be strong, it simply means suit up and put on the full armor, armor of God. There was a whole movement back in the 80s when spiritual warfare was popular where people actually used to put on camouflage and rent helicopters and fly over cities. That ain't what he's talking about now. What he is saying is walk in truth. Walk in righteousness. Experience the peace of God. Walk by faith. Have a renewed mind, take the dagger of God's word, and give God's, God permission to move in your life here on earth through prayer. That is how we put on the full armor of God, City Church. And that's how we walk in the strength of God. Next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to stabilize our lives. Because we can only stabilize when we're strong when we're strong. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, let me pray for you.